I've titled the, uh, the message this morning, Await in the Manger. That was one minute. That, was, that felt weird, didn't it? It's kind of awkward. But when you're waiting, even a minute feels like a long time, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing that when you're having fun, when you're enjoying yourself, a minute just flies by? But when you're waiting, when you're waiting for a word, a minute can feel like forever. Isn't that amazing? The hardest part, I mean, there's so many good parts about Christmas. Maybe the hardest part about Christmas is waiting for your gifts. I know it is for my girls. Now, if you really want to torture your kids, like my wife and I do, you, you buy their gifts a month before Christmas, and you wrap them up and put them under the tree. <laughs> I know we're bad. I'm sorry. We're bad parents. <laughs> And they got to sit there and they got to stare at those gifts for a whole month. That's torture. I love it. I love it. Love watching them squirm. They stare at it. Their hands are vibrating. They pick it up. And, and maybe your kids do this, or maybe you did this when you were a kid, or maybe you still do it even though you're not a kid. <laughs> but you, they take the presents and they shake them and they smell them. And I know what they're doing. I know the little games, because I played those games too. You know, they, they're a little rougher with them than they should be. And oops, I dropped it. Oops, the corner ripped a little bit. Oops. And they find ways to try to peer in, because waiting is so incredibly hard. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend named Trevor McIntyre. And he just couldn't wait to open his gifts. And so in the middle of the night, um, a couple nights before Christmas, he got up, and he was maybe 10 years old, and he went and he opened up every single one of his Christmas gifts very delicately, or as delicately as a 10-year-old can, which is, isn't as delicately as they think they're doing it. Opened it up, trying not to rip anything, looked at all his presents, and then rewrapped them so that his mom would never know. <laughs> well, guess what happened? It was pretty obvious that uh, his rewrapping job wasn't, wasn't as good as his mom's. And he got outed. And I remember this. It's, it, was, it was a bad Christmas for Trevor because they took all his presents away, <laughs> as I recall. Poor Trevor. So maybe some of you have done that. You couldn't wait, and you found some way of trying to circumvent the waiting. Waiting is, is not easy. It's hard for us big kids, too. Maybe it's not the presents under the tree, but... Waiting of different sorts. That's really hard in life. Maybe it's waiting for justice to be served in some situation. 
Maybe it's waiting for some promise to be fulfilled. Maybe it's waiting for some need to be met or satisfied. Maybe it's waiting for that right person to come along. There's all sorts of waiting, but waiting is hard. Sometimes that waiting happens for a long, long time. So my question for you this morning is, is there something that you're waiting for? Is there something you're longing for? Maybe it's that person you're praying would, would know Jesus the way you know Jesus. You've been praying for a long time. Is there something that you find yourself this morning waiting for and maybe having been waiting for for a long time? This is the last uh, message in the series I've called Veiled in Flesh, Finding God's Presence in the Midst of Life's Mess where we've been looking at the Christmas story from different angles and discovering that really it, it shows us that God is present in our lives in ways that we don't often see or ways that are surprising to us. And um, so this morning, I, I want to look just at one verse, and really it's just a few words from one verse. I don't even think I'm going to ask you to turn there. It might not be worth your time, but it's in Galatians chapter 4 if you want to turn there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and we're going to talk about how Christmas shows us God's presence even in our waiting. This verse struck me, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive Adoption to sonship. Now, that was so short, I'm going to read it again. But when the set time, now your, your version might say the fullness of time. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What Paul is saying is that Jesus was born at the set time. Jesus was born at the fullness of time. I just want to zero in on those couple of words because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot in those couple words. What does it mean that God sent his son to be born at the set time? It means a few things. The first thing it means is that Jesus, that God, has authority over time. He has authority over time. This is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, before he ascends back into heaven. He says in Acts 1, 7, to um, a question that the disciples put to him. The disciples ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time? And Jesus' response is this. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. What Jesus says is God has authority over the dates and the times. God has authority over the events of human history. God has authority not over, only over those big events, but he has authority over the times in your lives. In the circumstances in your lives, God has authority. Christmas, in other words, didn't happen by chance. 
at this time, not by chance, not by coincidence, but by God's authority. And so James says um, in his little book, James chapter 4, he says to people who think that they can establish their own times, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and we will make money. James says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. If it's the Lord's will. In other words, the Lord has a will. The Lord has authority over the times. That's the first thing it means that Jesus came at the set time, at the fullness of time. It also means that God not only has authority over the time, God appoints the time. God in advance has a set time that he has established. God is the only one that stands outside of time. We're all in it. We don't have tomorrow. We just have this moment. God is different. He stands outside of time. He's the maker of time. He sees the end from the beginning. And he has set times. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 1, chapter 20, it says that Jesus was chosen by God before the creation of the world. Even before God had created the world and created human beings, he knew. And he had a plan. Already Jesus had been set aside. Already there was a set time before the first minute began. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. So the time of his birth was fixed by God even before the, the, the first man the first minute existed. And you see that God had a plan from the beginning. You see that Christmas wasn't plan B. It wasn't an afterthought. You see that God had a plan from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, almost at the very beginning of the Bible, right after man has fallen into sin and has to reap the, the consequences of that sin, God says there's going to come a time when an offspring of this man and woman is going to crush the serpent's head. There's going to come a time. That's already at the beginning. And then God comes to Abraham and he gives Abraham a promise. He says to Abraham, out of you, even though you have no kids and you don't think you'll ever have kids, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give you a child and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. A nation that's going to be a blessing to the world. All the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through one that will come from you. There's going to come a time. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout thousands of years, you see God referring to this time that will come that he had already appointed. But these people who were living in that time, they, they had to wait thousands of years. And of course, for most of them, it didn't even happen in their lifetime. Thousands of years, but waiting for this set time which God had established even before the beginning. And the Bible tells us not only was Jesus' birth at a set time, but look how it refers to these other events. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. When did Jesus die for the ungodly? At the right time. At the right time. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. We have seen it at what time? At the proper time. It even refers to the proper time about future events. A little bit later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Now referring to the return of Jesus, what we call the second coming. He talks about the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 15, which God will bring about in his proper time. So all the events in God's redemption of you and me, redemption of the world happened at the proper time. So just to keep you awake, I'm going to ask you to say it every so often. It happened at the proper I know you had a late night. You had too much eggnog. It's not sitting in your belly quite right. At the proper time, God appoints the times. Now many people have tried to guess figure out the time of that second coming, haven't they? And they've even been stupid enough to go on the radio and pick a date and sell their possessions and wait on the top of the hill at that time. And then they went and they had to find another job to buy another house because it wasn't the proper time. Because Jesus says, you don't know the time. That's not for you to know. God has a time that he alone knows. But his time is the proper time. Time And we don't get to know it, but what we do get to know is that there is a proper time set by God in, in world events, and there is a proper time in your life that God has set, but it may not be your time. It's his time, but it is the proper time because God's timing always has purpose. That's what makes it full, the fullness of time. That's what makes it set because it has purpose. And God's purposes are always greater than your purposes. You know that, right? God's purposes for your life are always bigger and greater than your purposes. The Jews had been looking for this Savior for a long time, ever since those first promises had been given. Thousands of years before they had been waiting for the, this time. When God would fulfill his promise and there would be a deliverer, a king who would establish his kingdom forever for Israel and overthrow their oppressors, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, whoever. They thought they knew what God's purpose was in the time, but they didn't know. God had given them little hints along the way, but they didn't see it. God's purpose was bigger than their purpose. They were looking for a savior for the Jewish people. God wasn't looking. God wasn't planning for a savior for the Jewish people. God was planning to send a savior for the world, for all people. That was God's purpose in his time. It was the salvation of the whole world. So what made this the right time? This was the set time. Now, we maybe we have hindsight now. We can look and we can analyze the time and place in history, and we can kind of give ideas why this was the right time. Why was Jesus born? Now he probably wasn't born at zero, even though we've set our calendar by that. He was probably born about three three BC. Jesus was born three years before Christ, approximately. Okay. 
What made that time the right time? Well, now, we don't really fully know. We know that God knows why it's the right time, but, but we have some idea now as we look back. At this point in history, it was kind of a unique point in history. The Jewish people who had knowledge of these promises and over these hundreds and even thousands of years where God had been speaking to his people through prophets and they had been recording this, they had been collecting scriptures which became their scriptures, the Old Testament for us. And the Jewish people now had this and it was compiled over hundreds of years, but it gave clues, it gave prophecies in here that would point them in the right direction. And so these Jews now that had these promises, they had spread throughout the Roman Empire and so by the time Jesus is born in every city in the Roman Empire around the known world, there are pockets of people that have the promise. And they've built synagogues and their own communities all all throughout the Roman Empire at that time. So they were there. At this point in history, uh, for the first time in in, in human history at this point, most of the world actually had a kind of a common language. Now today we have English. If you want to communicate something in the world, pretty much you can do it almost anywhere in English. It's great. It's great to be an English speaker, isn't it? The Greeks, in the years before Jesus was born, you've heard of Alexander the Great, right? I mean, Greece was just this little regional power, but, but, but him and his army, he conquered really almost the whole known world at that point. And he, had a, and he had brought Greek culture and he had brought Greek language throughout the whole empire. And so even at the time of Jesus, when the, his Jewish followers write the scriptures, what language do they write them in? Do they write them in Hebrew? Do they write them in Aramaic? What what language do they write the scriptures in? Greek. Why do they write them in Greek? Because everybody knew Greek. Didn't matter if you were a Jew or a North African or what you were, everybody knew Greek. This had become the language of of, of the whole world, really. The world they knew. And so the Greek language provided the most precise instrument for global communication the world had ever seen. There was the ability to communicate now. The Romans had established, they had conquered so much of the world, they had, they had established a piece. It was called the Roman Peaks, the Pax Romana. And so this was the most peaceful time in history at this point because they had conquered it all. And having conquered it all, they built these beautiful roads, which I've even walked on. You can go there and the Roman roads are still there. You build roads in Manitoba, how long do they last? Like six months? They're they're paving the same stretch every year. What we need are some Roman roads. They're still there, okay? But they built this transportation. You could get from the furthest point of the empire to the other point on, on this beautiful transportation system they had built. All these things together made this point in history the set time for God to do what he had planned to do from the beginning, to bring the message of salvation to the whole world, okay? All of this allowed the gospel to spread quickly as it did. So those are only some of the reasons. This probably is the set time that God has in mind. Now, even many people in the New Testament, you can read about it in the New Testament, they thought Jesus would return in their lifetime, as a lot of us think today. And you know what? Every generation of history has thought that. It's us. It's us. It's us. Now, in the first 
the, the church, the New Testament church, they thought it was them. They fully expected that Jesus was gonna come in their lifetime. In fact, if you read 2 Peter, you find that people are mocking them. They're mocking them because they're like, where is your Jesus you say is coming back? Like it's been 15 years and he still hasn't come. Where's this Jesus? And they thought that he was gonna come back in their lifetime They thought that was the time and they were waiting and waiting and then the next generation was waiting and waiting and then the next generation was waiting and waiting and here we find ourselves today 2,000 years later and we're waiting for for God's time. But what they didn't get when they were waiting, when they thought, okay, it's tomorrow, okay, it's tomorrow, okay, it's tomorrow. What they didn't get, again, that God's purposes were greater than they thought God's purposes were. God's purposes for them were greater than their purposes. And so Jesus alludes to this in Matthew chapter 24. Again, the disciples, they always want to know the time. Just tell us the time, Jesus. Tell us the time. And this is what um, Jesus says in responses to questions again about the time. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus is talking about the time. He says, it's not going to be this time. This is going to happen in the world. It's not going to be that time. Okay, then this is going to happen. It's not going to be that time. And he's talking about the time of his return to establish his kingdom fully forever. In Matthew chapter 24, verse verse 14, Jesus says, and this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom, the good news, the, the message we have, okay, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When's the set time, Jesus says? It's when the good news, the gospel, has gone to every people, every nation. Now, if if, if the disciples would have thought, maybe already by 100 AD, we've done it. What are you waiting for, Jesus? We've gone everywhere. They didn't know what they didn't know, of course, right? I mean, if you looked at a map that they would have in in, in their grade four class in 100 AD, it would look a lot different than our map today, wouldn't it? They had no idea that there there was this land called North America and South America, and there were people over here that needed to hear. And there was this big island down there called Australia and New Zealand. There were people there who needed to hear, and it was going to take a while to get to find it and get the word. They had no idea. They didn't know what God knew. But Jesus said, when all the world has heard, when it's gone to every nation, then the time will come. In other words, God's delays are for the good of others. God's delays are for your good. God's delays are for the good of others. God is always right on time to accomplish his purposes. That's what it means when Jesus is, comes at the set time. God is always right on time to accomplish his purposes. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. We often don't end that last part. God works all things for the good of those who love him. So why am I waiting? We, we, miss, the, we miss the last part. For those who have been called according to whose purpose? His purpose. His time is for his purpose. 
And he's always right on time for his purpose. You see this in John chapter 11. Now this is a familiar story to most of you. It's a story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And why did Lazarus have to be raised from the dead? Because he died. Jeez, you guys aren't very bright. Okay. You always think when a pastor asks a question, it's got to be some complicated question. Eh. Lazarus was raised from the dead because he died. And why did Lazarus die? See, now you're wondering, where's he going with this? He died because Jesus didn't get there on time, right? Jesus didn't get, and why did Jesus not get there on time? It's because he waited. This is how it begins in John chapter 11. Jesus is in another village with his disciples doing his thing. And he has these good friends, two brother, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, close friends of his. He's doing his thing, and all of a sudden, um, one of the sisters sends word to Jesus in, in John 11, verse 3. Lord, the one you love is sick. So that's Lazarus. The one you love is sick. Come. We need you. We know you can heal him. So Jesus gets word. What does Jesus do? In verse four, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Well, what they didn't know is it would involve death, but it wouldn't end in death. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now read these next two verses. This, this seems like a contradiction. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what did he do? So he packed his bags and he went as quickly as he could? No. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He wasn't far away. I mean, he was a couple of villages over. He could have been there in a few hours. But he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So what did he do in his love for them? He waited. He waited two more days before he went. And what happened by the time he got there? Lazarus was dead. His body was cold. He was already in the tomb. And as he approaches the village... The sisters run out to him and they're beside themselves in grief. Why did you not come earlier? If you had come, Jesus, this might not have happened. He would still be alive. Why didn't you come? And then Jesus says, do you believe in me? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe in me? Of course we believe in you. In verse 40 of John 11, Jesus says to them as he stands by the tomb that has Lazarus's body in it, he says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then when he had said this, Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And you know what happens. Dead man comes to life. Ah, wow. 
And then verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. When they saw what Jesus did, they believed in him. What was Jesus' goal all along? Jesus' purpose. See, their purpose was, I hope Lazarus doesn't die. What was Jesus' purpose? I got to show them my glory so that they will believe in me, so that other people will believe in me. What they need more than anything else is, is to see my glory. They need that more than the sick man even becoming better. They need to see my glory so that they will believe in me. So I, I think what this suggests and what, um, what God's timings in, in all circumstances suggests is that more than anything else in our life, you know what you need and you know what God wants for you in his time? It's that you would see his glory. You would see his power. You would see how good he is so that you would believe in him and that you would trust in him in ever greater measure. That's God's purpose in his time. And because of that, you would see it like you would see how awesome God is. Because God is awesomer. Is that a word? Awesomer? Someone Google that. Is God awesomer? Okay. God is awesomer than you think God is. God is awesomer than you think God is. You know, when we say we want to behold to see God's glory, it's like to magnify God. It's like looking through a telescope, right? You see a little light out there in the sky, and that's a star. And with a telescope, that little star looks like a bigger star in the telescope, but it's not nearly as big as it really is in real life, right? That star is so, so, so much bigger than even in the biggest telescope you can see. God is awesomer than you know that he is. And he wants to show you his glory. Because of that, his timeline is different than ours. And, and I, I don't know if I've shared this story on a Sunday morning. I know that at a prayer summit I did. Some of you have heard the story of when we moved from Blind River to here. We put our house on the market and it's hard to sell a house in Blind River. And our prayer was, Lord, sell our house right away. Isn't that everybody's prayer? Does anybody, Lord, wait four months to sell my house isn't that everybody's prayer? You know, you new Ranskis, you're trying to sell a house right now, and you're praying, we're praying for you, God sells your house, but God has a time, and God has a purpose for the time, right? And this is what we discovered. Everybody wants it now, but God says, what I want more for you than just to have the, the relief and the safety of having it done right away, what I want more than that for you is I want you to see my glory, and so we kept wanting God to sell our house now and now and week and month passed by. And when did God do it? At the very last moment, two minutes before we leave Blind River, before we drive away, two minutes before we leave, the text message, an offer has come in on your, someone's buying your house today. Two minutes. And you know what we did? We glorified God. You know what we did? We worshiped God. That's what we did. Because what that showed us is how awesome and powerful God is. That was a gift from God. That waiting was a gift from God. It didn't feel like that in the time. But it was a gift that we might see how awesome he is. So uh, this is what I want you to say in your life, in your waiting. God is not wanting for you what is most convenient or what is safest, but God is wanting to showcase his glory. That's how he sets his time. 
because it's his glory that we might know that, that that's what will make us eternally happy. So one of the things Christmas shows us is that God came at the right time, at the set time. Okay? But, not on, but not that God only came at the right time, God still continues to come at the right time. In your life today, tomorrow, the next day, God will continue to come at the right time, at the proper time. If that's true, then, if that's true, what should we do? What should we do? How should we wait? Isaiah chapter 40, just a few suggestions here before we come to this communion table together. Isaiah chapter 40. I have it here somewhere. Verses 31, a fairly familiar verse. No doubt some of you have claimed at various points in your life. <clears throat> verse 30 and 31, Isaiah 40. Even youths, young people, energetic young people grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. This is not the waiting of an idle person. This was not the waiting you did while you were waiting that one minute that seemed like forever for Rusty to open his mouth. This is not the, the waiting of idleness. This is the waiting of watchfulness. This is the waiting of a servant to his master, a soldier to his commander. Like it says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34. Blessed are those who listen to me, God says, watching daily at my doors, waiting, waiting at my doorway. It's a picture, it's a picture of a servant waiting at the doorway of the master, waiting for the word, waiting for the command. It involves watchfulness, intentness, this is the sort of waiting we're called to, to, to give to the Lord. That our strength might be renewed. That our eyes are on the Lord watching as a servant watches their master for a word, for a command, for a movement. So how do we wait in this way? The first thing we need to do is we need to trust in his promises. Right? That our eyes would be on the promises of God that stand true in each moment that we would, we would wait, we would watch on the promises of God and to trust in them. And that we would submit to God's purposes. Right? If God's purpose in your life is, 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 is your comfort, yeah, then God won't come at the right time. I'm sorry. But if God's purpose is his glory that you might see his glory, the glory that will make you eternally happy, and give you deep, deep peace. Okay? If that's your purpose, then his time will be the right time. So to wait on the Lord means to submit to his purposes, wanting his will to be done, that his glory might be seen. To submit to his purposes. And lastly, we wait on the Lord by being unwavering in our obedience to his word. You know, the Old Testament is full of examples where a promise was given, but God seemed to delay. And people took matters into their own hands with disastrous consequences, right? You know, Abraham, 
He took his servant Hagar. And then in, in the book of 1 Samuel, you have King Saul waiting, waiting for the prophet Samuel to come to offer a sacrifice. And he was waiting day after day. He was waiting. And he's thinking, my goodness, Samuel's not going to, I'm just going to do this myself. And he broke the word of God. He's, if he's not going to do it, then I'm going to do it. And so he did something he was not allowed to do. He offered a sacrifice. It seemed like no big deal, but he couldn't do that. It was in his job. And, and Samuel comes and he says, what have you done? Well, you, you were taking too long. I said, you didn't wait on the Lord. You broke his word. And it was because of that act that God took the throne from Saul and gave it to David. Right? It had disastrous consequences. Because he, they were not unwavering in their obedience to God's word. Sometimes you come to a point in your waiting where you feel like you just have to take God's matters into your own hands, even if it contravenes the word of God. This is what in um, Galatians, at the end of Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, says this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You hear that? In your waiting right now, do you, you need to hear this. Okay? Let us not become weary in doing good, in doing that which is right. For at the, at the what time? At the proper time. Who knows the proper time? God knows the proper time. Do not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It says, don't be unwavering in your obedience to God's word in your waiting. And sometimes that means years and years of waiting, but we're called to persevere in obedience with the promise that there will be glory, there will be harvest in the end if we do not give up. So this is... This is this is one of the, uh, the glorious truths that's revealed in Christmas, that God has a set time. He had a set time then, and he has a set time today in your life. That's what the coming of Jesus into the world shows us, that God has a right time to accomplish his purposes in your life. God has a time. So what are you waiting for this morning? What are you waiting for? This is the question I ask as we come to this table here. And I, and I want you to bring that kind of to what we're going to do here at the table. What are you waiting for? When we come to this table here in a moment, you're going to take a little piece of bread which symbolizes the broken body of Jesus, broken for you, and a little cup which has grape juice, which symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which is shed for you. And as you take that little piece of bread and as you take that little cup, it should be a reminder of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with giving us his son, give us all things to accomplish his purpose in your life? In other words, if God is going to give you the thing of greatest value, if God is going to make the biggest sacrifice for you, then he is not going to withhold from you anything that you need. It means his time will always be for your good. It will always be the proper time if this is true. If this is true. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 8, 18 to 20. 
or sorry, 2 Corinthians um, 1, verses 18 to 20. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I love that. No matter how many promises God has made, if this is true, the answer is always yes. Yes. But at the proper time. At the proper time that you might see my glory. So as you come to the table, bring that, whatever that is, that waiting, and just know that the answer here, as you take this, is yes from God. Yes, at the proper time. And that hopefully will enable us to wait and not grow weary in doing good. So you probably gather we're gonna do this a little bit differently than normal. I think maybe you've done this before, but um, you're gonna come and you're gonna take your own cup and your own bread and after I pray, and uh, you're just going to come, take it, and then uh, you can come up the center aisle, go around out the outer, uh, uh, the outer aisle, and go back to your seat, and then um, just hold it in your hands until everybody has, um, has them, and then we will take them together. And if, uh, if you have some mobility issues, maybe, and you just want to stay where you're at, you can just kind of give a little wave, and I'll make sure that that's brought to you as well. So before I invite you to come, why don't you stand with me and I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that at the right time, the set time, the proper time you sent your son, at the right time he died, at the right time we witnessed it, at the right time you're going to come again. Father, I pray that whatever, wherever it is we're at as individuals, as families, as a church, Lord, that um, whatever we're waiting for, whatever we're longing for, whatever we're praying for, Father, I just ask that you would encourage us as we come to this table and as we think about what you have done for us in Jesus, that we would find great strength. We will be like that soaring eagle, that person that walks and doesn't grow weary, that runs and doesn't faint because we are waiting on you because we believe that there is a right time that you have for us, that we might see your glory. And so um, just strengthen us, Father, this morning in our waiting as we come to this table. In Jesus' name.